I'm going to talk about the wonder of life today. Not just the wonder of life, but the beauty of life. The wonder of forgiveness that these ladies expressed. The beauty of redemption. The wonder of how the blood of Jesus can cover us and take something as dirty as we are and make us white as snow. Doesn't that just give you pause to just give God praise and honor and glory for what he has done for us in the midst of our sin that he gave us beauty for ashes and the oil of gladness for mourning these courageous testimonies you know Tammy and, and Dinah made bad choices they did they made bad choices they, they admit that you and I have made bad choices many times over we've all made bad choices you know last week we looked at Romans I mean Revelation 12 11 about uh, about our testimony we are we overcome the enemy the enemy is Satan we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony we don't love our lives to the, to the death and I was thinking that that scripture is based on the fact that Satan is the accuser it says he went but he would go before God day and night accusing 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 you failed, you sinned, you, you're rotten, you're dirty, you're this, you're that. And he goes before the, 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 the God and says, I'm going to accuse everybody that I can. I want you to know that they're this and they're that. But the fact is, he's not the only accuser of the brethren. A lot of times the brethren are the accuser of the brethren. A lot of times we are the ones that point fingers. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. I will never forgive you. We, we, we accuse. And by, by accusing them of that and putting them down, we've judged them and then we've elevated ourselves in the process. And the Bible says the way you judge, you're going to be judged. That's why I love this body of believers here. I mean, there's just so much love in this place. I heard the amens and the thank you, Jesus. I heard those things. When they were telling them their story of pain, their story of sorrow, their story of, I messed up, but God forgave me. It reminds me of the story in John chapter 8 where the Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. They were always trying to get him. They are trying, always trying to get him to, to fail or to slip up. It says in the morning, in the morning they brought this woman to Jesus who was caught in adultery. Now I can just imagine the picture of her. What she was disheveled, probably barely threw some clothes on, and they throw her in the dirt in front of Jesus. Say, well, Jesus, what do you say? The law says to stone her. The law says to stone her. We, we have a right to stone her because she's been caught in adultery. The man was never mentioned, of course. So Jesus takes a stick and he starts doodling in, in the sand there, the dirt. We don't know what he doodled. Everybody has an idea, of, uh, 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 an idea of what he was doodling. But as he was doodling, he said, okay. He said this, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw stone at her. Whoever, whoever here, all you guys that have brought this lady to me, whoever is without sin, you here. Matter of fact, here's a rock. Here's a big one. <laughs> And then he starts doodling again in the dirt. You know, some people said they think he doodled their sins. <laughs> I think maybe he doodled their names like, I know who you are. 
and he wrote all this stuff out. And, and as they were thinking about, hmm, if I'm without sin, I can throw a stone that, boom, 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 dropped the stone, and then they just walked away. And then Jesus said this to the lady. He said, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, what? No one, Lord. No one. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, the thing is, that's us. We're the lady. We're the adulterer. Or we're the man. We're the adulterer. We've all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. Not one in here can say, I'm perfect. Not one in here can say, I have. Listen, the Bible says in James, it says, if you committed one sin, you've committed them all. So who are we to throw stones? Who are we to be accusers? Jesus said, look, where are are they, lady? Where where are your accusers? But he said, I don't condemn you. See, he's not in the condemning business. He's in the loving business. He's in the forgiving business. He's in the miracle business. So today, as we we look at the sanctity of life, God's given me kind of a different bend on how to look at it this morning. But here's what the sanctity, the word sanctity is defined as. It's it's the state or quality of being holy, sacred, or saintly. So I want us to go and look very quickly at Psalm 139. This is my uh, my mother-in-law. This is Mary Lou's mom, Eunice. This was her favorite book in the Bible, I believe. Psalm 139. It's a beautiful psalm. And it says it there. It says it in Psalm 139. God's perfect knowledge of man for the chief musician, a psalm of David. So this was put to music. But God used an imperfect man to write these beautiful psalms. We all know David was very, very imperfect. I mean, he was, a, he was actually guilty of adultery himself. And so God's using somebody that he knows is going to mess up, that he's going to really fall, fail royally, no pun intended, But he's going to use him to bring light and revelation to us this morning. Psalm 139, beginning with verse 1, says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows every word on your tongue even before you speak it. He knows every word that you don't speak that is on your tongue when you hold your tongue. He knows it. But behold, he says, I know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand on me. First thing what you see this morning is that God knows everything about you. And he still loves you. Look at your neighbor and say, God knows everything about you and he still loves you. <clears throat> That's some wonder right there, isn't it? <clears throat> I know people that know things about me that they don't love me so much. Especially if they knew my thoughts and, and the words that didn't come out that God knows. He really does know us. So when we talk about the wonder of life, think about the wonder of the, uh, the wonder of the fact that the creator that created heaven and earth 
and every universe and every galaxy and, and, and every flower and every blade of grass and knows every drop that's in the ocean, that knows every piece of dirt, every atom, every piece of every mountain. He knows every number of everything. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. Think about that. Isn't that, doesn't that make you wonder that he knows everything about us and he loves us? So I want to say this. I, I've heard this song and it's, it's we're not, we're nobody until somebody. We are not a nobody. Sinners are not nobodies. We're somebodies because God created us. That makes us a somebody. Well, I'm just an old sinner saved. No, you're not. You're a child of the most high God. And we speak crud over ourselves all the time. And God says, quit saying that. I created you. I love you. You're my child. Verse 6, such knowledge. Oh, listen to this, guys. Such knowledge, King David said, is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? You can't get away from in church. Where can I go? Or where can I flee from your presence? You can't get away from him. If I send into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell or shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, that means if you caught the early flight. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you take a cruise. All right. Even if there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't get away from him. If I say, surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness now shall not hide you from, from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. The second thing I want you to see is that God never loses sight of you. Never loses sight of you. In your darkest hour, he has not lost sight of you. He is your light. In your deepest pain, he has not lost sight of you. He's still your healer. When you have nothing, you have literally nothing, and he sees that you have nothing, he is still your provider. I remember when I was a kid, how many, how many remember when you were a kid and you would go into the department store and your mom would say, now y'all, be, 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 be careful, don't, don't leave my side. And I don't know why it is about kids, and I think I was one of them, you used to hide in the clothing racks. <laughs> That's funny. I, what's the deal? Man, they smell good. They're clean. I don't know. And we hid. We, it's like, where are you, Harold? And you just, hmm? <laughs> How many of you lost your kids in a department store in the, in, in the clothing racks? Okay. You know, there's not a parent in here, that, probably, and there may be one or two, but you, probably not any parent in here that haven't been with your children and all of a sudden they're not there. And you don't even know how it happens. You're just, son, stay right there. Where? He's gone. You're that fast. But see, you can't do that with God. He knows you're behind in, in the clothing rack. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows when you're hiding and you think nobody can see you. Adam, where are you? Eve, hey, come on out. Let's talk. They thought they were hiding from God. Isn't that funny? God, they created them and they thought they could hide in a, in a, behind a bush or something, cover themselves up with some leaves and they oh, oh, God's not going to find me. 
<laughs> and see, that's what we do. We still think we can hide from God. Oh, he didn't see me doing this. He didn't care about that, surely. See, we can't get away from God. God never loses sight of you. Let's move on to verse 13. For you, he's talking about God, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at them. Now turn to the other side and say it to them too. And I heard this a long time ago, and tell them this, God don't make no junk. I was the fourth of five children. I was the fourth in the first mistake. After three, my parents said, man, I, we can barely take care of three. What? You're pregnant? No. Man, my mother would never consider it an abortion. But I'm telling you, I, she, I was told later on, and I'm glad they waited later on. To tell me I was a mistake. And then my little sister was a big mistake. <laughs> but see, it wasn't a mistake. That's our human, it's our human thinking. Oh, that was a mistake. No, God knows exactly what's going to happen. He's not, oh my goodness, Sybil's pregnant again. Jesus, how did you allow this to happen, you know? He's not surprised at that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous. Say marvelous. marvelous. I like that word, don't you? Marvelous. Marvelous. You look, you look marvelous. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Wow. Women have, you know, the bare children. This means more to you than it probably means to me. Okay? What is taking place in the womb? skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Isn't that amazing? I, I was going to, I knew we had this other video, so I didn't show a video, but, and then, where's Courtney? Where's Courtney at? Right over here. Courtney works at the Pregnancy Help Center. Who else? And Tanya and... Who else from here? Royce, okay. We have people that work at Pregnancy Help Center. They're part of Pregnancy Help Center. And there's some. If you ever seen those videos of the baby in the womb from the from the when from the when the fertilization takes place and then the growth and the, it, it just will blow your mind. What happens when when's the heart start beating, Courtney? You know that I'm going to throw you on the spot. Exactly, 21 days. The heart starts beating. Or that they can start detecting it at 21 days. <sighs> Marvelous are your works, Lord. Marvelous are your works. Number three is that God made you just the way you are. Do, 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 do. Y'all know that song? Oh, I think I love you just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. God made you just the way you are. He gave you your hair color. He gave you your personality. He, you know, what? Well, he gave somebody the intelligence to make hair color in a bottle. And they're wealthy people. He made makeup for people to learn how to make makeup. And I'll stop there. 
Did you know, and I've heard this before, and I, and I think it's true, that most supermodels think there's something wrong with them? Y'all ever heard that? Supermodels. You know, they're in, in all the magazines, and, and there's all, if you ask them, well, what would you change about yourself? And they say, well, I don't like my nose. I don't like my ears. I don't like this. I don't like that. And see, people, most everybody wishes they could change, change something about them. And I, I wish I could be taller. Anybody in here wish you could be taller? All the short people. Yeah, I want to be taller. Anybody wish they could be shorter? A few. There's a few people wish they could be shorter. People wish they could be of a different ethnicity. I wish I was born this color or that color. Some people wish they, they, they I wish I could have been born smarter. <laughs> <laughs> Or funnier. More what? Tan? Well, that's, that's color. <laughs> they make that in a bottle too. Yeah. A lot of people said, I wish I was born in a different era. I used to wish I was born, I wish I'd been my teenagers would have been in the 50s. Happy days. Be bopping, you know. No, no, no hard drugs, nothing like that, just beer, <laughs> yeah, which I don't like, so I'd have been good. But see, God made you just the way you are, when he made you, where you were born, to who's, who your parents would be, to what part of the country, what part of the world you'd be born in, what color you'd be, whatever, well, God determined that. So just say this, I am what I am, and I ain't going to change it. So you, got, you, got to, you have to come into agreement with, I was born for such a time as this. Yes. Amen? Yes. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't make junk. He just said, okay, this is who you're going to be. I need you to be. Who, listen, wouldn't it be boring if we were all of the same personality, all the same color, all the same height, all the same weight? I mean, wouldn't it be hard if we all wore the same clothes? I'm probably the only person in here who has notes on his shirt. <laughs> musical notes. My, these are musical notes all over my shirt. But my personality is I like, music, I like music. Some people are not that crazy about music. Some people don't like the kind of music we do here, so they go somewhere else. You know? But we all have our own personalities. Why do you think opposites attract? How many, of you, how many couples that are here this morning... You're really, your personalities are opposite, and you fell in love with the opposite. Stand up. Mary Lou, you better stand up. All right, so if they're next to you, say, thank you, Lord, for putting me together with that personality. See, some of you, had, that's never been part of your language. I can't believe you put me with that person, Lord. <sighs> See, the reason I'm, I'm focusing on this is because, and it was said actually in the video, you've got to come to the place where you love yourself. But before you can love yourself, you've got to love the creator that created you like you are. That, that's the... That's the 
That's the basis of what we teach here. Love God and love people as you love yourself. I've always said it's not just two commandments, it's three. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as you love, it's implied, as you love yourself. It's hard to love your neighbor if you don't love you. And it's hard to love you if you think God messed up. And so if you think God messed up, you're not going to love him so much. God, why did you make me four foot 11 and three quarters? And, and you, you argue with God, I can't believe you did this to me, God. And God said, that's exactly the height I wanted you to be. You need to get to know and love the fact that you're four foot 11 and three quarter and not four foot six. <laughs> you can always be shorter. You can. Verse 17. You love yourself this morning? Some people don't love themselves because they're not willing to forgive themselves. Again, that was what we heard this morning. You had to come to a place of forgiving themselves. God's forgiven you. Why can't you forgive yourself? You're in the, you're in the same boat as the rest of us. We all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All right, verse 17. How precious you are, your thoughts. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Imagine that. The creator has thoughts towards us, and they are numerous. You can't even count them all. I can't even, I can't even count them all. You can't count them all. There's thoughts toward you. God. So the fourth thing is that God has plans for you. Have you ever thought about God's plan for your life? Have you ever thought about it? Not your plans, not your plans, but God's plans for your life. Have you ever thought about those? Here, if you're a parent, you, know what, you must know what, a little bit of how God thinks or how much God must be grieved at times because when we have children and they don't live up to their potential, it grieves us. When we have children and they disappoint us because they've been given so much and yet they mess it all up. And so we're going, oh, you, there's a purpose for your life, son, daughter. There's this beautiful purpose for your life and you're not taking it. You're not running with it. You're giving, you're just throwing it away. And that's how, that must be how God feels. But he says when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God because he's made these plans for us. He has these great plans for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, Most everybody knows this one in different forms, but I want to read it from the Amplified. God says this, for I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. What God will say to you this morning, child of God, is do not give up. Do not quit pursuing the dream and the plans that God has for your life. You want to talk about abortion? I'll talk about abortion when the devil comes in and steals your dream and you abort the plan that God has for your life. And you quit pursuing God because something happened. You got offended. You got hurt or you got sidetracked. And God said, no, get back on track. Stay the course. Don't give up. Just like we would tell our children. Don't give up. Don't give up. His mercies are new every day. Don't give up. Jeremiah, if you go on and read this, it says in verse 12, then you will call on me, says God, and you will come and pray to me and I will hear your voice and I will listen to you. Then with a deep longing, you will seek me and listen to this and require me as a vital necessity and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
He is a vital necessity. I never heard him put that way until I looked at the amplified version of of Jeremiah 29. God is a vital necessity in our life if we're going to pursue the God and pursue the dreams that he's put in our heart. Let me ask you this morning. This is a tough question. Are you still breathing? If there's anybody next to you and they're asleep, wake them up. Make sure they're breathing. If you are still breathing, is there anybody, is it, do we need a CPR on anybody? Everybody's awake. Everybody's, everybody's breathing. Okay. If you're still breathing, then God is not through with you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you think you know or what you don't know. God's not through with you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He knows. He's, he's written the book. He, he knows that, that you maybe have not stepped into your destiny yet. And he's speaking to you today that this is the day you step into your destiny. This is the day you pursue your purpose. This is the day the dreams are rekindled in your heart to follow me. Verse 19. Now, this may sound weird, okay, but the flow of this chapter. But listen, we'll, we'll, we'll delve into it a little bit. So he said all these beautiful things, Okay been for me and you know my thoughts you don't leave me then he goes oh that you would slay the wicked oh god man who taught david to write it just didn't flow does it Uh, oh but you would slay the wicked oh god depart from me therefore you bloodthirsty men for they speak against you wickedly talking about God, speaking against God. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do, do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred, whatever that is, and I count them my enemies. So I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, you know what? I could have stopped the verses before, but you know, I like to do everything in context. I don't like to just leave. Because you know what I know about people? A lot of you have already read ahead. You had not even heard some of the stuff I've said. Because you're reading ahead. How's he going to manage that? <laughs> he's going to talk about being a baby born and all this stuff. And now he's talking about bloodthirsty men. <laughs> but I, I know why he put it in there. Because God hates sin. Number, number five, God hates sin. Now let's, let's flip back. Let's just rewind a little bit to the beginning of the sermon. Jesus finds the woman Everybody walks away, and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, Lord, I see none. He says, neither do I condemn you. And go back and do whatever you want to do. Go back and sleep with as many men as you want to. No, 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 no. He says, go and what? Sin no more. It's more effective when you follow me. Go and sin no more. You are way ahead down here. Sin no more. You know, we, we, we stop short sometimes when God speaks to us, don't we? We hear what we want to hear, but we don't hear that last part of what he just said. Oh, go and sin no more. See, David had to hate sin. See, we're taught, the Bible teaches us to hate what God hates, and God hates sin because Here's the thing. If she would have gone back into her lifestyle of adultery or whatever it was, her, her promiscuity, she would, had, she would never have realized her destiny 
in the kingdom of God. See, when you get saved and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you make him Lord of your life and then you start aborting the plans that God has for you by stepping back into your old life, into your old sin, to your old companions, to your old thoughts, to your old ways. And those things start coming back into your life and you abort the destiny that God has for your life. You have stopped short of living the plan and purpose that God has for your life. Amen? Or oh me? Yeah. When God says to stop sinning, he means it. When God says stop compromising, he means it. When God says, I've called you, I set you apart to live a holy and pure life, he means it. And I'm not talking about legalism. Guys, listen to me. I understand the grace of God. I understand that he forgives our sins. And I understand that we sin more than we ever want to. But when he says, this is not appropriate, this is not the way I've called you to live your life, and you continue to go that direction and you rebel against him, I'm telling you, you'll thwart the plan of God for your life and you'll open the door to the enemy to come back in and flood you and your old friends will come back and they'll bring their old buddies. And I'm talking about demons. And sometimes demons look like your old friends. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain means to stop. Don't do it from every form of evil. When you keep walking and living and compromising and rationalizing your sin, you quit being sorry for your sins. And godly sorrow will take you back to repentance. So if you're wallowing in your sin, or if you're living in your sin today and you're comfortable in your sin today, don't expect that you're going to glorify God living in your sin today. Don't expect that God's got this, oh, I want you to do this ministry if you're going to live in this sin and rebellion. God's got this plan for your life and he's got this purpose for your life, but he's called you out. It's called sanctification. Verse 23, almost done. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The very first verse of this psalm was, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. (laughs) O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, then he's at the end, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me. Know my anxieties, my worries, my fears. See if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's something out of whack in me. See if if there's something offline in me. Search me, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. The last point I want to make this morning, and you hear me say this so many times from the pulpit, is that God desires humility. I can't imagine any more humility than what we heard from these women this morning. Transparency, honesty. 
I just said God knows every thought you have. He knows you're coming and you're going. He knows everything about you before you were born, and yet we are not honest with God. We're not willing to say, well, God, I, I really have a problem in this area. I really need your help. I need deliverance. I need salvation. I need something. And God just waiting for us to say, I need you. He's just waiting for us to say, God, restore me. He's just waiting, like David said, restore the joy of your salvation to my heart. Lord, I've sinned against you. Go read Psalm 51 about David after he's repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. He had lost the joy of his salvation. Some of you have lost the joy of your salvation. It's, listen, you've lost the joy because you've, not, you've stopped serving him. You've stopped walking with him. You've stopped being obedient to him. You don't even hear his voice anymore. And you lose the joy. You lose and you forget the wonder. The sanctity of life. See, uh, the sanctity of life, that, that whole thing is about the unborn. It's about, it's about, it's about anti- being against abortion. It's about valuing life. But I want to tell you this morning, God's called you to a sanctified life. This is sanctity of life right here. He says you are holy. He set you apart. He said that's what holy means. He sets us apart sacred. We are saints of God in this place this morning. Well, I'm not a saint. You didn't. Yes, if you know Jesus Christ, you're a saint. You're the saint or you ain't. It's one or the other. There's no, there's no middle ground. Humility is so huge in the word of God because pride would have you abort your pursuit of holiness and chase after the world. But humility will keep you constantly asking God to refine you. Humility will keep you in that place of repentance. And ultimately, it will lead you in the way everlasting. Isn't that where you want to be? Being led into that way that's everlasting. The wonder of your life. The sanctity of your life this morning. That's what God's interested in. There's an old, old hymn. How many of you remember George Beverly Shea? Yeah, like three people. (laughs) If you're over 70, you probably remember. He was the worship leader for Billy Graham. Not the worship leader. Actually, he he would sing a special almost every Billy Graham crusade. And he had a rider on a ship with him one day. He was going across to a crusade in England. And all the team was on the ship. And there was a reporter there who didn't know Jesus. And uh, he said, what do y'all do there? He said, well, you just come and go with me and you'll find out. <laughs> and he knew that George Beverly Shea was pretty famous by that time. This deep baritone voice. <laughs> and he said, uh, I want to challenge you, Mr. Shea. Write a song. He said, okay, what, what about? And he said, the wonder, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Just to think. That God loves me. Do y'all know that? Do you really believe that? That he loves you? Would y'all stand?